0: That is the heartbeat of this church. It's so simple. You know, the Bible is such a complex book, but sometimes God, in an incredible way, makes the most complex things suddenly so simple and concise. And and they're plithy in the sense that it's just three things, but to live out those three things is an incredible thing to be able to do. Thanks, Brad. So what is it that underpins this community of faith? What makes us who we are? What makes up our DNA as a group? Like, why do we come together? What's the purpose of being here? What motivates us as followers of Christ? And what shapes the vision of this church and the mission that we'll involve in and the goals that we set? What is it that keeps us on track? What keeps us aligned with truly being disciples of Jesus Christ? What compels us individually and corporately? What really, when we boil it all down, what, what is it that drives us, that makes getting up in the morning worthwhile? What is it that, that pushes us along? And this morning, I, I believe that it needs to be a revolution of love, an expression of God's love through us that is doing justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly. Those three things that Micah talked about. Thanks, Brad. Just to give you some context of that passage of Scripture when God spoke those words, these are a few passages just before that. And Micah was a guy who God raised up in the midst of um, a terrible time in Israel's history. And I'll explain a little bit more about that in a minute. Woe to those who plan iniquity. Woe to those who plot evil on their beds. At morning's light they carry it out because it, it is in their power to do it. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them. They defraud people of their homes. They rob them of their inheritance. Therefore, the Lord says, I'm planning disaster against this people from which you cannot save yourselves. You will no longer walk proudly for it will be a time of calamity. Lately, you rise up against, as an enemy against my people. You steal a robe from a friend, from those who pass by peacefully As if returning from a war. You wrongly evict widows among my people from their cherished homes. You defraud their children and their prized inheritance, but you are the ones who will be forced to leave. For this land is not secure, sin will thoroughly destroy it. Israel had a horrible, turbulent past, but this was a season in which they had a lot of prosperity. And it was a time where they gathered a lot of affluence and they didn't handle it well. In fact, it turned them into a wicked, um, self-pleasing generation. It became quite a sickening and shameful, abusive society where the rich exploited the poor and widows and orphans um, were treated very poorly. The powerful were, were abusing the weak and oppressing people and discriminating against people. And so a whole large fragment of the society became marginalised, became disadvantaged, became neglected. And the political leaders were themselves corrupt and they just turned a blind eye to everything that was happening to the poor and the widows and the children. And the religious leaders who should have known different should have been a voice that raised up and said, there's injustice here. They were totally indifferent. They were so self-absorbed that they didn't even see what was happening. They didn't want to see. And so into that situation, God spoke an incredible word. So God confronts the whole nation through Micah about their evil scheming and selfishness and he declares judgment. And when the people hear the judgment, what they do is they reach into their religious bag of tricks and they try and find a way that they can appease God. They're not sorry, they're not remorseful, they're not regretful, they're just knowing God's angry, I want to deal with the anger so we can get on with our lives. And this is what they say. This is their response to God. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams, with ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And then God responds to them and says, the Lord has shown you what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. That was God's response. So precise, so powerful, so succinct, and left them in no doubt that they'd got off the track in a big way. God was saying, look, I'm not going to put up with that. That's not what my people represent. This is the type of people that I want you to be. And these are the actions and the deeds and the attitudes that I want to characterize you as my people. You say you're my followers, but nothing that you do or say represents my heart. And so God says I want you to firstly to act justly. And it's the Hebrew word mishpat. And it's like a it's like a coin, it has two sides to it in meaning. The first side means that we do what's right in God's eyes. That we have a standard that's not our own, it's God's. And so we raise up a standard, a godly standard, a standard of holiness and purity and integrity and we live by that. We live out that model. When nobody's looking, we're we're not any different. We're godly, righteous people, and we abide by that standard. It's meaningful to us to live with that integrity. And so we move in the opposite spirit of this world. We're selfless, and we have a servant attitude, and we want to esteem others more highly than ourselves. We want to be a blessing to people, and not to be indulgent like the Israelites had become. That's one side of acting justly. The other side, thanks Brad, is that we stand up when there's injustice and fight on behalf of those who don't have a voice. We become an advocate or a champion for those who are marginalised or disadvantaged or oppressed or broken, or needy, in any way, shape, or form. When we see it, something within us should trigger, and we say, that's not right, and that's not fair, that's not the way that God ordained things to be, I'm going to get in there, and I'm going to fight for those people. The soup kitchen last night was a demonstration of that. That these two beautiful people down the back, look at the Pakenham Society and say, something's not fair and not just here. We need to reach out and find a way to touch them and bless them and reach them and let them know that there are people that love and care and want to nurture them. That's what it means to champion the cause. It means we're not idle. It means we're not passive. It means we're actually very intentional when we see something. Now, that can be a bully in school that we stand up against when there's injustice and there might be a kid in school who's a bit of a misfit and doesn't fit in, but we go and we befriend that kid because we know the consequences if someone doesn't. And so something in our perspective and our mindset is looking for the injustice in our society, in our workplace, in our school, wherever it might be, and when when we see it, something triggers and something riles up inside us and we go, what would Jesus do? When the people accused the woman of being caught in adultery, what did he do? He just drew in the ground and said, whichever one of you's got the first sin, you're free to cast the first stone. He got involved where there was injustice. He took up the cause. and We need to alleviate that hardship and oppression in any way that we can. It's really saying, I want to love those people the way that I'd want to be loved if I was in that position. Do justice. Do it. Don't think about it. Just do it. The old Nike symbol. You know, do it. It should be what our lives are about. Doing justice. Raising up a standard in our community, in our society that's godly and honorable and allowing that to have legs and feet that in every circumstance in our life where we see injustice, we jump in. That goes hand in hand. With what Isaiah said, he said, wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. So that's the cleaning up of our lives so that we're right in God's sight. Learn to do right and seek justice. And then the other side of the coin, defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the cause of the widow. So doing justice means there's heaps of options for us. There's all immigrants moving in around us who are marginalized. There's abused people in our society, domestic violence and bullying, there's elderly that are neglected, there's divorced people who are struggling, there's handicapped people, there's lonely people. The list is endless. Underprivileged children, single mums who are burdened, broken and estranged marriages. We might not live in a society where we're poverty stricken, but there's all sorts of injustice happening that we can be involved in. Thanks, Brad. Now, just doing something can become very clinical unless the motivation to do that comes from loving mercy. Okay, It's very important that those two go hand in hand because the wellspring of the doing comes out of the being, being in intimacy with God. And that intimacy, God, means something compelling happens within us. We're compelled by the love of Christ to get involved. If you're going to get involved with disadvantaged, dysfunctional, broken, hurting people, it's messy. And there's every good reason to go, uh-uh, too hard, too messy, too time-consuming, too much crap will come on me, I'll say no. But loving mercy means there's no leash on our hearts. When we see the need, we're not looking for the reasons why not, we're looking for the reasons why too. And how can I? How can I be a blessing? It's a supernatural outworking of our faith. It's a genuine and generous empathy for those people. It's compelling. It's irresistible love. You can't stop yourself because you're driven by what God has given and birthed in you to give that away to others, to expend your life on the needy, the hurt, and the broken. Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly. Walking humbly is the opposite of running arrogantly. We don't tear through life proud of what we do, self-centered. What we do is we stay anchored to God because you can't do justice and love all those needs and meet all those needs if the energy and the resources and the strength to do that isn't birthed by God. We'll get burned out in a week. In a day, so it's got to come from God. So, walking humbly knows that as I journey through life, every facet of my journey with God is hand in hand with Him. So, when I see injustice and I need to express the love, God's power and strength is right there for me to do it because I'm walking hand in hand with Him. I know that in my own strength, I can't do it. I've got to draw from Him. Lord, give me the strength, give me the power, give me the words. Give me the ability to deny myself and bless these people. We've got to stay intimate and dependent on God. Walking humbly also means that we understand that this church and this community of people, none of us have arrived. Like None of us have it all together. I can't stand up here this morning and say, well, I've made the grade. I'll teach you how to get there because I haven't got there yet. I'm a broken, hurting person who's been redeemed by the grace of God. And because of that impartation, something in me is churning away, looking for a place to release that. And God's saying it's right there in front of you, Mark. You've got a community of hurt, broken people. Go and reach them. Go and reach them. No one is better than me. No one's above me. We shouldn't be in a competition to see that all the pastors up here and I'm down there. No, it's a level playing field where we all have the responsibility and the privilege to meet the needs of people. And walking humbly means we're just on a journey. We're doing the best we can with what God's given us. But in that, we know that we're drawing from him. There's a little prayer we used to say when we had food at a camp. It says, God is great. God is good. And we thank him for our food. That's all you need to know about God. Don't bother going to Bible college. That's all you need to know. God is great. Therefore, the miraculous is possible at any time, anywhere, any, any place. There is nothing that God cannot do. Right? God is great. And if you look through scripture, it's just a, Page after page after page of God's greatness being manifest through mankind. But that greatness is coupled with goodness. Praise God. Because imagine a great God who wasn't good. (laughs) That would be scary. But his greatness and his goodness go hand in hand. Therefore, his greatness is for my blessing. And therefore, because of his goodness, I can then use his greatness. You see, they go back and forward, hand in hand. God is great, God is good, and therefore. That is possible because of him and who he is and what he's done. Thanks, bro. You know, I love, well, I love this idea. I couldn't get it organized today. This is what I wanted you to do. So imagine yourself doing this this morning, okay? I wanted you to come up the front and put your thumb in an ink pad and put it on a map of Officer Pakenham and Beric. Because I want us to leave an imprint. Okay, we've may not be able to change the whole community, but we can do something. As we brainstorm, as we plan, as we ask God for his strategy and his heart and his ways of ministering to people, we want to leave an imprint on people's lives that is God's imprint. I am believing that God is going to give us opportunities to be extravagantly generous as a church. Daryl, I want you to imagine I've got a cricket ball in my hand. It's coming at you, mate. You ready? It's coming. You ready? Got it. Okay. God's going to give you an opportunity. It's coming. I want you to be ready for it. Okay? This little thing will remind you when you get in the shower or you're sitting on the toilet or you're fiddling with it or whatever you're doing because they annoy you until you get used to them. I'm going to be a catalyst for change in my generation In the circumstances that God's given to me, I want to be an agent of God's change. And to do that, we've got to be generous. Now, being generous is not about me standing here saying, you must all give me 10% tithe every week. That's not generosity. That's manipulation. Generosity is something that is an ethos. It's unspoken. I don't have to stand here and drill it into you. It just naturally happens because your heart is overflowing with wanting to do justice, wanting to be a loving, merciful person who just loves and loves and loves and loves. And we do that because we're walking in this humble relationship with, with God where we're, God's saying, Mark, you can do this. And I'm going, no, I can't. God's saying, yes, you can. I'll be there. I'll give you the resources. I'll give you the words. I'll give you the grace, the mercy. The challenge for us individually and as a church We're only a very young, tiny little church. But I want us to have audacious faith. There's a man in the Bible called Joshua, and he was in a battle, and he was pursuing the soldiers that had got away from the main battle. And God had told him to wipe them all out. And he was chasing them down the road with his army, and the sun was starting to go down on the day. And Joshua knew when darkness came, He'd have no hope of finding them. They'd be hiding in caves, wherever. And so he had the faith. Imagine turning around, pointing at the sun and saying, God, can you make the sun stand still, please, Why go and get these men? Now, I've stood on that beach and said, Lord, it's my holiday. What are you doing? Why is it raining? Guess what? It didn't work. I tried. Because it was a selfish motive, Right? But that's what we need to do. If we walk humbly and we hear God's voice, we'll know. We'll know what he's calling us to do. And then we just respond out of obedience, knowing that God is great and God is good. And we thank him for our food and for our families and for all that he's given us and the blessing that is ours. So imagine you're walking up here this morning. You're all putting your thumbprints in here. You're putting it on a map of our area and that legally binds you to be obligated to love those people. Does that make sense? Because that's my desire for this church. And I can't do that. It's just words on paper. It's a principle. It's a hope. But when we give that hope legs, it's an incredibly dynamic, transformational thing. Okay? It's not about working hard. It's about sitting at the feet of Jesus, being filled with his presence and his power, and out of that place, we do justice, we love mercy, and we walk humbly. I think it should have been walk humbly, do justice, love mercy. Because if we don't walk humbly, it's just good works, and we'll grow weary and tired and we'll fail. So my challenge this year is to come back to the basics you know we're going to do that study not a fan of god but a committed follower and god's going to probe us impress us and ask us to surrender every area of our life and to be extravagantly generous so this morning i'm going to hand these around i'm looking forward to seeing the guys all wearing their beautiful pink purple the reason i chose purple is because purple's our color as a church it's also in Scripture a royal color. It's God's color. That's why I chose purple. So my apologies for those of you who are fashion conscious and don't like Here, Dave, you should wear two. Uh, cat- yeah, Cadris, yeah. <laughs> and here's some cards. Hand them around. If you're uncomfortable with handing out cards, I'm cool with that. It was just a way of not having to go to someone and then bless them and then explain yourself but also giving them an opportunity that somehow they might connect that with the blessing that God has given to them. That's right. Yes, we are. Seen the sign, Potter's Field? Do you know that's an amazing analogy, that we're all broken bits of pottery. I was thinking about that the other day. What gives me the right as a broken bit of pottery to stand up here and educate and encourage people to do something when we're all broken pieces of pottery? It's amazing, isn't it? That's right. <laughs> he does. Hey, Brad, can you do me a favour? Brad, can you nick back up to the start of the service? I just want to play you something to finish. It's the. Uh, it's after the revolution of love. This I think it's about the fourth slide. It'll be a blank one. profound word of truth, that your requirement of us is to do justice, to love mercy and to walk humbly. Lord, in the tapestry of our lives, and Lord, I know you're going to give us opportunity to be a blessing to others, to reach out to people who are broken and hurting and needy, and Father, give us the courage to do that knowing that you are great and that you are incredibly good. Father, I thank you for the DNA of this church, Lord, and I ask you and give you permission to teach us and train us to be, I guess, a great model of those truths as individuals and as a body of people. We might not be known for our great buildings, or we might not be known for, you know, our fancy services or anything like that. Lord, I don't care. I want to be known as a people who do justice and love mercy and are humble and walk with you. That would be great to hear people say those sorts of things. I know would make your heart proud. Father, meet us where we're at at the moment in our lives and take us deeper with you this year. Teach us and train us and Break off those things that are not pleasing to you. Lord, allow us as a church to grow in you and allow us, Lord, as a church to reach out and grab hold of others that you've got your hand upon and bless them, I pray. Lord, teach us what it means to be generous, not just a little bit, but extravagantly. Lord, we're just little people, but, Lord, help us to have big dreams, audacious faith, that we don't look at the size of our wallets or the lack of resources that we have, But we turn our minds and our hearts to the God who can do anything and everything and exceedingly abundantly above all we could ever dream or imagine. I praise you, God, that we serve someone like you, someone that my heart and my head cannot grasp because you are too great and too good. And yet what I know about you compels me, fills me with love, fills me with determination and motivation to do what you did, to love the unlovely, to reach out to the broken and hurt, to expend my life in the pursuit of loving others. Father, may that be our heart's cry as a church this year. Father, give us the privilege of seeing those broken people come and be made whole by you. Father, we're just a mosaic of broken bits and pieces of clay, but you're the potter. You're the one who will fashion and shape us into something beautiful. Lord, we can say as the weak that we are strong, because of you. Father, we thank you for your presence today. Father, I want to pray particularly this morning. It's been on my heart for our single mums. Lord, that's a tough lot to raise kids on your own without the reassurance of someone to lean on or just the strength to get through it all. Father, I thank you for our single mums. Thank you for their courage. Father, help us to be mindful of them. So often in church, we talk about family and and marriages and, and we inadvertently make them feel left out. Lord, that's not our heart. They're whole in you. And we thank you for their courage and their grace and their mercy. Lord, help us to remember them in a special way, to love upon them. Father, we want to thank you for your blessing today. Lord, thank you that you're teaching us how to grow in you, to discover spiritual gifts and to wait upon you. Lord, help us to do it so that you're edified and glorified and that your body grows. Lord, thank you for the beautiful presence here today. We give you the the glory, the honor today, in Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen.